not only is the mythology of safety comes at the expense of productivity, not only is that incorrect, it's probably 180 degrees opposite. At least the low-hanging fruit, safety and productivity are synergistic. You improve the knowledge and the ability of your MRI departmental staff, including radiologists, to clear these patients. You will improve productivity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are joined by Tobias Gilk. Tobias is a noted expert in MR safety, operations, best practices, and accreditation standards. He's currently serving as the Senior Vice President of Radiology Planning, which designs radiology, nuclear medicine, and radiation therapy facilities for healthcare providers. He was formerly the President and MR Safety Director for Mednovis, which manufactures ferromagnetic detection products. He has served on the ACR's MR Safety Committee and is one of the co-authors of the ACR Guidance Document on Safe MR Practices the 2007 and 2020 ACR manual on MR safety. He currently operates an MR radiology consultancy, Gilk Radiology Consultants, and is a respected speaker on this topic, invited around the world to give talks. So Toby, really excited to have you here today. It doesn't seem that a day goes by where MR safety isn't front and center in the news. And so, you know, love having you here today to talk to our audience about all things MR safety and it's a pretty random, it's a pretty niche topic. So how it does is. one find their way to becoming an MR safety expert? Well, you kind of alluded to my origin story in the intro there. So I'm trained as an architect and began my professional career designing spaces within hospitals. Didn't take all that long for me to kind of fall into radiology in general and MRI in specific. And while I did a few radiology projects before one of them turned out to be an MRI project, and pretty quickly I became aware of just how many rules and regulations and standards there are for ionizing radiation. And quite frankly, I was a bit surprised and stunned when I started my first MRI project and I was looking around for similar sorts of standards, minimum requirements. And at the time, there really weren't any. I threw myself in the deep end and was looking at, you know, MRI accidents and MRI safety related stuff and thought to myself, well, wait a minute, a whole bunch of these safety related issues have at least some physical environment component. How come there are no rules or standards or design codes particular to MRI safety? And so that was really kind of my entree into MRI safety as it really sort of started out from the physical environment piece and kind of metastasized from there. So originally you were an architect by training. And so you're getting called in to design these healthcare facilities and they're saying, okay, we're going to put an MR here. And then you're realizing there's no guideline on how to safely put an MR there. Right. So th when I first started late nineties, at that point, there hadn't been the original, the ACR white paper that became the guidance document that became the safety manual. So that document didn't exist when I first started practicing and doing MRI facility design work. So 
I was really kind of surprised by the absence of that. Now, I happened to be designing a project right when the original white paper came out, an, an MRI suite for a hospital client. And the head MR tech essentially handed me the then just published white paper. And I was relieved, honestly, you know, that, <laughs> oh my goodness, now there is a resource, there is a tool that the white paper describes many things beyond the physical environment, but at least it contained, it described the zones and access control protocols and that sort of thing. <laughs> I, honestly, I read through it and I didn't understand it. Um, so I wound <laughs> up reaching out to, I figured, who better to talk to than the lead author on the paper, Dr. Emanuel Canal, who is sort of the godfather of MRI safety. Dr. Canal was generous enough to take my repeated calls, asking him to explain the dummies guide version of the document, at least with respect to physical environment. And at the end of that project that I was doing, I reached back out to him, number one, to say thank you for giving me the, the guidance and walking me through it. But beyond that, to say, you know, hey, look, I consider myself a fairly smart guy. If I'm struggling with this, then I got to imagine that lots of other people who have responsibilities for the physical environment piece are similarly going to struggle with it. You know, are you open to some constructive criticism? One thing leads to another, um, and he winds up inviting me to sit on a later iteration of the ACR's MRI Safety Committee, where I contributed to what became the 2007 guidance document on safe MR practices. Much of the work of that committee was done by email, but then when we got to the things that really couldn't be resolved by email, we had like a two-day meeting at the ACR headquarters where everybody sat around a table and we hashed out all of the things that remained to be hashed out. I walk into that meeting thinking I'm hot stuff. I don't know how I fit through the doorway because I think my ego was so inflated at that point. And, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to teach these radiologists a thing or two about the physical environment, which I suppose in all fairness, I did. But the physical environment piece was the tiniest sliver of the content of the overall ACR guidance document. And... 90% of the conversations that were going on in the room went right over my head. I did not like that feeling. <laughs> and I also, I believed then, believe now, that if I really wanted to be the best MRI facility architect that I could be, I should really probably have a better understanding of the technical aspects of MRI and MRI safety and the operational issues and the economic issues. And so... I think that meeting was late 2005 or early 2006 or something like that. And at that point, I sort of made the conscious decision I was going to throw myself in the deep end and absorb everything that I could about MRI safety, technical, operational, financial, regulatory, all of those things. That's kind of how I launched from just being an MRI architect to having a bigger appreciation for the full spectrum of MRI safety. Why MRI safety from a patient perspective? Like what's the worst thing that can happen? What kind of things were you seeing happening at that time? Unfortunately, what happened then and what's happening now are really not all of that different in terms of the, the range and breadth of, of types of accidents. MRI has been characterized as perhaps the most dangerous place inside the hospital. So we have an enormous superconducting always on electromagnet that field strength wise, the power of the magnet rivals the giant magnetic cranes that they use to pick up cars in the junkyards. 
it is enormously powerful and things go flying at the magnet with immense force. And those flying objects have injured people, killed people, both things external to, to the patient, to the worker. There's a case that happened just a few weeks ago where a conventional transport gurney that's used everywhere else in the hospital is brought into the MRI scanner room. And the magnet grabs it with immense force and it hits a nurse who was injured by the accounts that I've heard fairly badly. So these types of accidents that occurred when I first got started continue to occur now. So you said, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst we can do? We can and do kill people in these accidents, which is horrible and tragic because in almost all instances, the root causes of these accidents and injuries are things that we know about, things that we have identified effective preventions for, and yet we just don't implement them. Despite the body of best practice, we really don't have an effective body of standards or regulations or requirements that would compel folks to use the preventions that we know exist. When you say we don't have regulatory standards, I think that would shock most people. That certainly shocked me. It seems like most things in radiology are pretty heavily regulated. For example, the ACR regulates image quality and you know they go side by side and they check quality on some periodic regular basis. Can you talk through what you mean there when you say there's no regulations and what we should be doing instead? Sure. And and I think that you're not alone in being surprised by this. I think that this is surprising to most everyone confronted with this for the first time. So most of the regulation that we have in radiology is actually an outgrowth of workplace protections um, developed for the Manhattan Project, the development of the atomic bomb, right? Ionizing radiation, we need to protect people from exposure to ionizing radiation. Those workplace safety protocols essentially, as I say, became the foundation for ionizing radiation safety regulation in the United States and then exported broadly around the world. When MRI came upon the scene, because it was not a good fit for the existing regulatory regime, right? So we knew that ionizing radiation was dangerous. We knew that MRI didn't utilize or expose people to ionizing radiation. And so the oversimplified thinking was, well, that must mean that MRI is safe, right? Because it doesn't uh... use this thing in radiology that we know is harmful, ionizing radiation. The thinking seemed to stop there. And the question of, well, are there risks or hazards in MRI that are unique to this modality? And instead, we just sort of labeled MRI as, quote unquote, the safe modality. And that as sort of a bumper sticker PR slogan gets thrown around anytime anybody starts talking about strict accreditation requirements or state licensure or federal you know, oversights or standards relative to MRI safety. Why would we need that if we recognize this as the quote unquote safe modality, right? If you define it as the safe modality, then safety regulation just becomes or is presented in such a way that it seems burdensome or unnecessary, superfluous. And that's where we are today. In the United States, 
I may be working from slightly old information, but I believe it's 46 of the 50 U.S. states have no state licensure requirement for MR technologists or operators of the MR system, which 90% of the U.S. states don't care who's sitting at the console because of this, you know, MRI, the safe modality bumper sticker mythology, there are extremely few states that have any state licensure requirements for safety training or ongoing safety of facilities, those sorts of things. The FDA, who we think of as sort of regulating medical devices and up to and including radiology devices, the FDA has no point of care authority over MRI. They do have it over mammography, but that literally took an act of Congress, the MQSA, Mammography Quality and Standards Act, or Quality and Safety Act. It's only through that act that the FDA has point of care authority only over mammography. For everything else, the FDA regulates the devices and the marketing of those devices specifically how it's used, where it's used, who gets to use it. Um, the FDA is hands off for all radiology modalities, except for mammography. So there's no state licensure oversight by and large for MRI safety. There's no federal oversight. Accreditation organizations that market themselves or market their products as assuring quality and safety within the realm of MRI hit quality hard but don't hit safety um, anywhere close to the same level of specificity or concrete practices that we know would prevent accidents. Wild. I'm trying to square what you just said with the ACR's recent draft manual on MR safety. So I understand they just released a new manual. So what's the difference between the manual that they're releasing? A, like what's in it? Is it you know, good. And maybe that's not a fair question, but is it maybe more understandable than those first drafts from the early days of MR? Does it move in the direction that you're talking about? Or is it one of these things where it's just a suggestion that you read the manual and so therefore no one no one does it? I'm trying to understand sort of where where they're falling short. Right. So the ACR is a strange animal because it is simultaneously an accreditation organization and it's a professional society that it represents the, the interests of radiologists. So I think where things get weird for the ACR is where those two circles of the Venn diagram overlap, the professional society membership and then the facility accreditation requirements. So when you have facilities that are owned and operated by radiologists who are members of the professional society, now all of a sudden, for a certain segment of the membership of the professional society, rules and regulations and standards that apply to the facilities may be at odds with protecting the professional and financial interests of your members. So there is this strange tension um, within the ACR just based on its two very different mandates um, for the mm. two different sides of the organization. So that manifests in their safety guidance in some rather peculiar ways. First off, to your question about the new draft document. So while it is a draft document and it will be revised and it's by no means official in the moment, it is excellent. The expanded content is great. 
there are a number of sort of explainers that help with some of the more challenging elements of this um, in terms of understanding. The new document, and I've had no involvement in its production whatsoever, the new document is head and shoulders above the, the prior versions in terms of usability, um, in terms of, of content. So it's absolutely based on, on the prior non-draft editions. It is absolutely the world's foremost best practice document with respect to MRI safety. However, when you look at ACR MR accreditation programs, so their MRI and breast MRI accreditation, the accreditation requirements fall into a few different buckets. Um, so there are site requirements, and then there are personnel requirements for the supervising physician, there are personnel requirements for the technologist and operators. The only place that the ACR's MRI accreditation standards reference their safety best practice document is within the modality supervising physician requirements. And essentially they say the supervising physician is responsible for making sure that the best practice safety guidance in their manual is employed, deployed, put in use at the sites that they are overseeing the accreditation of. There's also a big caveat to that specifically with regards to staffing, that the ACR essentially says, yeah, we know we say you should have adequate staffing at these facilities, but we're not going to check. If something goes badly and we decide that staffing played a role or lack of staffing played a role, we'll come down on you like a ton of bricks, but we're not going to prospectively you know, actually check for this. So even though they reference it under the supervising physician's obligations, they then go on to say, but we're not actually going to check you. And really the only time that this is going to be an issue is if something goes badly. Putting it under the supervising physician requirements, however, is a bit odd because let's take the staffing issue. So in most hospitals, for example, the radiologists are a contracted group to the hospital. So they don't actually have direct authority over hiring and firing of the technologist or, you know, staffing procedures or the policies and procedures or SOPs for MRI safety practice, you know, at the hospital using their magnet, using their staff. So we're putting the supervising radiologist in the theoretically, in the, the hot seat with the responsibility to make sure that the hospital or the imaging center employs all of these best practices. But when the radiologists are a contract group, they're actually kind of impotent in terms of a lot of the official decisions that would need to be made in order to employ the practices identified in this. So it strikes me a little bit of, you know, having your cake and eating it too, that they invoke the safety requirements in the supervising physician personnel requirements, but they do it in a way where they explicitly say, yeah, but we're not going to check you. And then even if they were able to check or chose to check, they have it in a section where the person who has the least control over a great number of the practices and policies and staffing and that sort of thing, we put somebody who has a very small amount of direct control, we say that they're responsible for controlling these things. So... It seems a little odd to me and to others as well that the group that publishes 
far and away the best MRI safety best practice information doesn't even really effectively include their own safety guidance in their own MR accreditation program. Really helpful explanation. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to switch gears a bit. So when a team brings you in, so let's say, you know, a hospital hires you, they're building a new facility. uh, They want you to design their space. What are some of the things that you advise them to do to create a safe environment? Can you talk through some examples? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I would say to not do is not to copy and paste. MRI equipment today has probably got a useful life of 10, 12, maybe 15 years for a new scanner that you put in. If you're replacing a scanner that you put in 10 years ago or are adding a scanner because your your volumes have grown, replicating the decisions that you made about planning an MRI suite, the decisions you made when you installed the last one 10, 15 years ago, is probably a really bad place to start. Not because you did a bad job 10, 15 years ago, but the conditions on the ground in terms of what you had to deal with 15 years ago in MRI are profoundly different from the conditions on the ground today. And so we need to back up, by and large, throw out any copy and paste solutions, including guidance that you may get from your MR system manufacturer about the prototypical design layouts, that sort of thing. And go back to your inputs. Take a look at what you're trying to achieve in terms of what patient population do you want to serve? I bet you today, particularly in a hospital setting, the patient population you want to serve is significantly different than the patient population you were trying to serve 15, 20 years ago. You know, higher acuity patients, patients with more implants and devices, post-surgical patients, you know, the diversity of clinical conditions and acuities um, is probably significantly greater today than it was back then. Plus, look at what all of the MR system OEMs what are they advertising for their products? Faster throughput, right? Today, the bottlenecks in productivity and and throughput are not the MRI machines themselves. They're how we deploy them, how we prepare patients for them. If you got an MRI machine that could get patients on and off the table in 10 minutes, Unless you have designed your facility with appropriate number of changing rooms and subweight areas, patient holding, patient prep, there's no way on earth that you're going to get six patients through this mythical 10-minute MRI scan scanner per hour. You're going to have to need to re-engineer the operational model to be able to meet the capabilities of the MRI scanner where it stands, which again, kind of goes back to the, you know, don't copy and paste your last solution because you probably have significantly new different demands that you're going to place on this MRI scanner today than when you did this last time. New equipment siting, new facility design is sort of a moment frozen in time. And so making decisions that not only reflect you know the changes that have undergone um, at your facility the changes that have happened that's important but similarly again if we're looking at this piece of equipment lasting us 10 12 15 years we want to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing and take a look at what are the trajectories of patient care patient demographics how do we want to be able to expand the clinical availability of MRI, make it available to patients to whom it wasn't available in the past. 
what does that mean? What infrastructure or support functions are we going to need to be able to make this new piece of equipment functionally and economically viable for the lifespan of the equipment? So throughput, patient acuity, and overall patient diversity um, are huge changes in the inputs in terms of designing these facilities. You think it's really smart the way that you tie the design to throughput. I think running through the back of my head as I've heard this conversation is you know, everybody cares about efficiency. And so if you are putting up barriers to efficiency, there are some other patient harms. Long wait times harm patients. You know, the inability to get access to an MR harms patients. Costly MR harms patients. And so making it more efficient and making it less costly is a benefit. And if safety feels like it stands in the way, I could understand why people are going to say, hey, you know, I'm, I don't want to be regulated here. I think we're doing a good job. Well, um, one of the things, can... sorry to cut you off, but there is this popular mythology that throughput and safety are competing interests. The fact of the matter is, apart from patients simply not showing up or not showing up on time for their studies, the number one delay or drag on throughput for MR services is patients who show up with information that the site is not prepared for, safety-related information about implants or devices or potential contraindications or complications. And those delays are things that we can actually manage better, smarter, safer, and reduce this drag on productivity and throughput. The number one drag on throughput, other than patients not showing up, is delays associated with care because of safety-related concerns. If we do a better job of dealing with this low-hanging fruit safety-related issue, we actually wind up doing a much better job in terms of productivity and throughput. So not only is the mythology of safety comes at the expense of productivity, not only is that incorrect, it's probably 180 degrees opposite. At least the low-hanging fruit, safety and productivity are synergistic. You improve the knowledge and, and the ability of your MRI departmental staff, including radiologists, to clear these patients. You will improve productivity. Very interesting. I, you know, certainly it would not occur to me that safety and productivity would be aligned. I would assume they would be in tension. And so I think that's probably one of the more maybe unique takeaways from this discussion for folks that maybe didn't think about it from that point of view before. And it lends nicely to my next question, which is around your courses. So you run courses on MR safety. You're giving a talk this week as well. Full disclosure, we're also developing a course together in partnership with Modality. So excited to have a course on MR safety on our platform. It's something that many of our radiology leaders have been asking for. Who typically attends these courses? Is it radiologists? Is it techs? Is it the hospital administrators? As you mentioned, there's so many different stakeholders that play a role. What are they and what's driving them to attend and what do they typically learn? As for who attends, you know, MRI safety training related courses, and you threw out sort of the whole salad bar, rads <laughs> and techs and admins, to which I'll add medical physicists, essentially anybody who has a direct role in policies, procedures, practices related to the safety of patients in the MRI environment. 
Now, historically, techs have had more direct involvement in it. They're the hands-on, you know, point of care. And so oftentimes there is, just in terms of numbers, uh, greater involvement from the technologists in MRI safety training, advanced training, more so than, than any of the other roles. However, we're seeing um, a growing acknowledgement or understanding um, on the part of radiologists that their legal responsibility for the safe execution of the exam, radiologists get harped on all the time for, you know, accuracy and timeliness of their interpretation, that oftentimes it kind of gets lost in the mix that they're also legally responsible for the safe execution of their studies. They're radiologists. They're the ones prescribing an MRI study. It's a prescription exam. They're the supervising physician for it. They're legally responsible for the safety of the study. So we're beginning to see an increasing level of interest and engagement on the part of radiologists, which I think is a great thing in part because historically, MRI safety hasn't been a minimum required part of residency training programs. So if radiologists get trained in MRI safety, it's been largely hand-me-down information. You know, whoever trained their fellow in MRI safety, whatever information, you know, got passed down to their fellow gets passed down to them in their residency. And it becomes this sort of perpetuating, you know, gift, hand-me-down gift from one generation of radiologists to their next generation of trainees. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's the way lots of clinical information uh, or knowledge is transferred. Human anatomy hasn't changed in the last 20 years. Um, now, image quality and what we can see with our devices has, but the underlying elements of what we're looking at in terms of human bodies and disease processes and that sort of thing, those underlying elements haven't changed on the, the reading and interpretation side. The underlying elements in MRI in terms of the exam administration, in terms of safety, no, that's changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And so radiologists who are practicing today based exclusively on hand-me-down knowledge that may have its origins 20, 30, 40 years ago, may be practicing without the benefit of an accurate and full understanding of the risks that are present today and their role in them. So getting technologists, getting uh, medical physicists involved in this training is important. Ultimately, I think the radiologists, because they do have the single greatest uh, level of responsibility for the safe execution of MR studies, their involvement is exceedingly important. It wouldn't be an episode of the Radiology Report podcast if I didn't bring up my wife, Taylor. She's a recurring theme on this show because she's a, currently a fellow in neuroradiology, but she's going into private practice. And one of her roles in this practice is going to be staffing imaging centers. And she'll be the sole radiologist. And she's not ever done that before. So, you know... I don't believe there's any MR safety training handed to her day one to say, by the way, you now are responsible for the safe administration of this center. And, you know, she, she's been training for years. So presumably she's had some of that training through residency and through fellowship, but maybe some additional training would be beneficial there. 
Well, and the whole dynamic of the radiologist's relationship to the patient, right? You know, so PACs and remote reading, you know, we've essentially moved the radiologist further and further away from the point of patient care that I've previously gotten, you know, really strong emotional reactions from some radiologists when I say, you're the ones who are ultimately legally responsible for the safe execution of the exam. And they're like, how can I be responsible? I'm in a different <laughs> county. I'm in a different state than the magnets that I'm reading studies from. That's just preposterous that I would be held legally responsible for it. At which point I have to say, it may well be preposterous, but legally it's the way it is. Well, this was a, a really helpful conversation for me. I learned a lot about a field that I admittedly knew nothing about prior to. I want to be passionate about anything as much as you are passionate about MR safety. That really shines through. And I think the radiology community has just been very grateful to your contributions in this field. Any final thoughts for the audience of radiology leaders, especially the leaders of tomorrow? Yeah, I, I would just say in the near term, try and identify within your organization individuals who are responsible for different attributes of, of MRI safety. We've operated under this communal understanding that safety or patient safety is everyone's responsibility. The problem with that as, as a working theory is if I'm responsible and you're responsible and the guy across the hall is responsible, who individually has to answer for the care for this particular patient, right? Well, we're all kind of responsible and I'm having a bad day and I, you know, accidentally bought decaf instead of regular coffee and I'm feeling a little sluggish. And so I'm going to count on Daniel really picking up the slack today. But, you know, Daniel got two hours of sleep last night because he's got a newborn or whatnot. You know, this notion that when everybody's responsible, we can like working in a group project, right? You know, I'm going to kind of slack off because I got the valedictorian in my group here and, and they're going to take care of it. Naming individuals, naming an MR medical director, somebody who is responsible for the clinical policies, procedures, and practices, defining them, making sure that they're implemented. The MRSO, MR safety officer. You actually, you couldn't open a nuclear medicine you know, facility without having a, a radiation safety officer identified. Why do we expect or allow significantly less for MRI when we know that we can injure, maim, kill people with MRI. Shouldn't we have a safety officer dedicated to that? Somebody who's, who's responsible for taking those policies um, developed by the clinical supervisor, the MRMD, and making sure that they are implemented uniformly, consistently across different patient populations. And if your facility has a medical physicist who is responsible for image quality related items, you know, accreditation, clearances, those sorts of things, shouldn't we have that medical physicist as a resource for the technical MRI safety questions? Shouldn't we have them designated as an MRSE, MR safety expert? As soon as you start putting individuals, you know, I put my name on the bottom line that I'm assuming responsibility for this, the dynamics of how we implement safety change dramatically. The information is no different. We still have the same best practices, but when I, Toby, have to answer for 
you know, point of care related accidents, incidents, near misses. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I have a vested interest in making sure that those best practices actually get implemented. So I think one of the easiest things to do that may have the most profound effects are transitioning from this is everybody's shared equal responsibility to these are the individuals who have single points of responsibility for making sure that our institutions practices actually align with best practices. And when somebody's got skin in the game, things have a greater likelihood of changing. Management 101, clear accountability and ownership. There you go. Well, uh, Everybody, that was Tobias Gilk. Thank you so much, Toby, for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.